0: i 'm normally at the Crossroads campus, which is great. I love Crossroads. I work with the middle schoolers there who are very special uh, it 's good. I mean, if you have middle schoolers i 'm praying for you okay <laughs> um, no they 're fun they 're crazy and insane and, and super goofy and it 's it's, uh, it's good. I, I have enjoyed it. I think the main reason i 've really liked it uh, is that I just I have a lot to say to middle schoolers. I have a lot of things. I think about my middle school days. You know, not a lot of us kind of tuck those away and like to pretend they didn't happen for maybe some of us. Uh, but I've been kind of forced to think about those years. And I remember liking the youth group thing. And, uh, you know, my parents made sure I was in youth group. I talked to my dad last night, and he was like, You better tell him I raise you right. And I was like, Okay, dad, I will. I was raised right, uh, I was in the church and doing that kind of thing. But my view of God was, was super wacky. Uh, my view of what God was like and what He thought of me was just it was super off. Maybe I was just a goofy kid i don 't know but uh, for whatever reason i, I didn 't really picture this loving father who who you know could protect me and hold me and who cared about me. And, you know, I knew he wouldn't leave me and he was kind of obligated to love me, but he didn't really like me. I think that's what I thought. I thought, you know, God's the kind of guy who's just going to wait till I put a toe out of line and he's going to smack me over the head. As soon as I do something wrong, you know, he's just going to kind of hang his head in disappointment. And that's really what I thought about God. And so if you can imagine, that was not a relationship with God that was at peace, There was not peace there. There was anxiety and fear, and that's what kept me going. That's what caused me to do the right things and come to church, make sure I was kind of towing the line. Uh, And the reason I think this is so helpful to talk to my students about is that I don't think this problem stops with the middle school years. Uh, And this is something that I still struggle with, is thinking that God is someone I can't really feel safe with, I can't really trust, I can't really depend upon. Uh, I think we all struggle with feeling at peace with God. I think that's common. Feeling like, oh, me and God, we're, we're good, things are great. Uh, I think we all struggle with this. And so maybe for you, it, it's similar to me, where you, know, you just kind of feel like God's this guy, he's waiting for you to mess up, waiting for you to put a toe out of line, and, and he's going to kind of be disappointed with you. you. know, Maybe for you, God is, is like a boss who's, who's just a really mean boss, and he's like, firing people left and right. You know, I don't know if you've had a boss like that. I haven't, but if you have, you can imagine what you would be like at work. You would be kind of anxious. You know, if you saw that boss in the hallway, you would be very careful how you would speak to him. You know, you'd be really guarded, and you you just want to make sure you look good in front of him. Uh, and maybe that's what you're like with God. You're, you're careful about what you tell him. You're, you're just you kind of distance yourself from him. Maybe for some of you, you, you lack peace with God because you just feel like he's someone who, who's typically upset, disappointed, let down by you. Uh, maybe for others of us, it's not the day-to-day struggle that makes you feel like you lack peace with God. It's something kind of deep. It's something in your past. It's, it's, just, it's a sin struggle that you know is bad, and you just can't shake it, and it just kind of taints everything. When you think about what God thinks of you, you, you know there's this thing, and you know that it's causing you and God some tension. You know, maybe for you, God is like one of those TSA guys at the airport, and you kind of like bring him the bags of your life, and he's like rummaging through it, and you're just like, oh no, this is not good. And he pulls out that one thing that you know is bad, and he's like, sorry, you can't come on the God plane with this sorry, and you're just like, no, and everyone else is getting in just fine, and, and you can't get on the God plane. So maybe that's uh, some of you. Maybe for others of us, um, you, you know, it's not this deep for you. You hear me talking, you're like, okay, I, I think God likes me and loves me and cares for me. Uh, but for you, you feel like there's just not an energy in your walk with God that you wish you had. Uh, you know, what I think about a relationship with God that's at peace, I think about a relationship that's growing, that's exciting, it's just kind of coming out of you, it's, it's natural, and so maybe for you, you feel like there's just something kind of missing. Maybe you come to church, and, and in this environment, you feel something, and, and you see that other people are definitely experiencing this closeness with God, and maybe for you, you just feel like, I, I'm not sure what that is. I'm not not sure exactly what I'm missing, so maybe that's some of us here. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about some of the ways I try and solve this issue when I feel kind of out of sync with God, feel like we're not at peace. There's a couple of not helpful ways I try and solve this problem on my own. One thing I do is I rationalize. I think about my sin, think about the bad things I've done, and to make myself kind of feel better, feel like me and God are okay, I just say, well... All right, I was tired. OK, this person cut me off first, so I can zoom around him and kind of give him a dirty look. right? And I think we all do this. you know, my kids had it coming. You know, my spouse has been driving me crazy. We, we don't like to own our sin, and so what we do is rationalize it, and if we can make it less heavy on our hearts, if we can make it seem lighter to us, then we feel like, oh, God must be okay with me. God must be cool with me now, since this sin really isn't that bad. Uh, Another way we try and solve this is through comparison. We say, okay, you know, I'm not the best, uh, but at least I'm better than other people. You know, I'm in church more than other people. I give more than other people. I do more than other people. And so we kind of look around and say, well, if I'm kind of in the average then I must be fine with God. And so to make ourselves feel better in front of God, we just look to other people and say, well, as long as I'm kind of better than other people and I'm in the average at least, then me and God must be okay. And that's another false way we try and f- solve this problem. I think the final way, at least I do it, maybe you can relate to this, uh, is I just try harder. I say, okay, this, this has been a bad day. Me and God are, like, not okay right now. And so I'm not going to talk to him. You know, I'm going to kind of distance myself. And then tomorrow, it's going to be, it's, I'll wake up early. I'll sing a cappella hymns in my room. You know, I, I'm just going to fix it. And then me and God will be cool again. It'll all be good. But we know that doesn't happen. We know that the mistakes we made yesterday typically we make today, and we might make them tomorrow, probably will. And so we know that trying harder also doesn't really work to solve this issue. And so today I just want to talk about how we can have peace with God. Uh, I think all of us can have peace with God. I think we can, all, we can all rest in knowing us and God are solid. We can all know God's not a boss who's like letting people go left and right. God's not the kind of God who's just disappointed in you, kind of hangs his head when he looks at you. I don't think that's how God is. And for some of us, you've never had peace with God. This is just, this is not something you've ever had. Maybe you're newer to church or, you know, you went to church as a kid and now you're kind of trying it again. And for you, you've never had peace with God. And maybe for you, this could be kind of a light bulb moment uh, this morning. For others of us, it, you know, if, if you're in the church a lot, I'm not saying anything new today. Uh, and so for us, it can be helpful just to have those cobwebs dusted off. Uh, I know that I can know the truth and believe what's true, but then as life goes on, I start to believe something else and behave differently. Uh, And so we're going to learn about one truth about Jesus today. Um, We're going to learn that Jesus stays devoted to the broken. Jesus stays devoted to the broken. That's the whole point this morning. If you remember one thing, that's the point. And we're going to see that in the story uh, from Luke 22. This is in verse 31. So if you want to turn there, uh, look at that. This is the story of Peter denying Jesus three times. Uh, And if you've been to church, you've heard this story. This is in all four of the Gospels. And this is a really helpful story for us to look at. Uh, Because Peter, he he wasn't just one of the disciples, he wasn't just one of Jesus' followers, he was one of the favorites. He was in Jesus' really inner circle. And Peter kind of owned that. Peter liked being a great disciple, he was a bold guy, he was kind of arrogant. You know, he had a lot of swagger. And so I like looking at Peter because he was just one of these guys I can relate to. He just, he liked being one of Jesus's favorites. And so here we see the story of him denying Jesus three times. And so uh, we're going to see how Peter's peace with Jesus breaks and how it's restored. And that's how we can learn how we can restore peace as well. So uh, let's start in verse 31. So this is in, in Jesus' last few days. This is in his last week. Luke, is, he's really zooming in on some stories that happen, And you can imagine the tension that's just on Jesus' shoulders right now. He knows the cross is right in front of him. He's going to get arrested. He's going to get beaten up. All these kinds of bad stuff. So there, you can kind of picture this through this lens of tension that Jesus is feeling. So this is verse 31. He says, Simon... Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. And so Simon is Peter. It's the same guy, same, same uh, person. And Jesus pulls him aside, and we see him say, Simon, Simon. Jesus is just, there's this sad urgency in his voice. Simon, you need to listen to this. You need to hear what I'm about to tell you. This is important. And he says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. And you know, don't think about like sifting flour, like this kind of cute process. You know, sifting wheat, it was intense. And it was this process where they would just kind of like push the wheat against this grate, and it was it would just put it through all this tension and turmoil to separate it out. And that's that's exactly what Satan was gonna try and do in the disciples. Wanted to bring such tension, turmoil into their lives that they actually leave Jesus. And walk away from him. That's what Satan was after in this time. This was a key week, and Satan said, Oh, this is my chance. This is my chance to get in here and do some things. And, you know, you would think that Jesus would respond with, Don't worry, Peter, I said no. You know, Satan had to ask me. Don't worry, I said no. Jesus actually doesn't say that. Uh, He does say something else encouraging. He says this. This is verse 32. Uh, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back strengthen your brothers. So we already see just the love and forgiveness of Jesus coming through here. And this is what's so powerful about this story. Jesus knows Peter is about to mess up. He's about to just fall on his face, and Jesus says, "Don't worry, I'm praying for you. And I, I want to use you later." You know, you're the guy who's about to fall hard, but you're still my guy who you're going to be the leader. You're going to be the guy strengthening the other disciples and the other Christians. That's what I'm going to have you do. So we already see Jesus' character coming through here and him wanting to protect Simon. Uh, But this this is still a strong warning. He's still saying, Satan's still going to come. I've drawn a line. He, He can't totally take you from me, but he's still going to come in to your life and do some damage. Uh, And typical Peter, you know, he doesn't want to hear this. So here's what he says in verse 33. But Peter replied, "'Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death.'" Peter's saying, "'Jesus, come on, I'm Peter. I've always been by your side.'" I would never do this. I would never disown you. I would never fall away from you. You, you don't got to worry about me. Peter, Was he just his pride was just made this warning from Jesus, something he didn't even think he needed to hear. And Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, he sees right through the words to the heart. And in verse 34, Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus just says, look, this is going to happen. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny that you even know me. And so we see where this is going. This story is, is in, uh, we see the actual story in, in 54 through 62. So I'll just read through that. So this is after Jesus gets arrested. Some other stuff happens. So this is verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Okay, Peter's kind of, we don't know what's totally going on in his mind. I mean, this. The guy he was just following for three years, who he thought was the Messiah, the Savior, he is now a criminal. He's now in chains, and so I would imagine Simon's just—he—he he doesn't know what to think. He's like, I—I I really thought this was going a different direction than it's heading, and so Simon was following, Peter was following at a distance. Uh, this is verse fifty-five. And when some there had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, that man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. So Peter walks up to this group, and they're all just like, we saw you. You were with, you were this, with this guy, right? And we don't, we don't see any kind of animosity in their voice. They, they just seem curious. The first one was a servant girl who asked him. And three times Peter said, nope, I wasn't with him. I don't know what you're talking about. You've got the wrong guy. And then this is verse 61. This, closes, this closing is so intense. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Uh, can you just imagine that look where Peter just realizes? Peter goes from being Jesus' favorite to completely disowning him three times. And Jesus had called it before him. And when Peter realizes this, he's, just, uh, he's so broken. He's so just ashamed. He's just in such agony that he can't even look at Jesus. He walks out, and he just weeps. That's all he can do. He just weeps. Uh, And what's so powerful about this story, I think what gets me about the story and and what we can learn from the story, is we can say all we want, oh, Peter, how would you do that? Peter, come on, you're a brave Peter, you know, you you should be the guy who's standing up for Jesus, you should be the one fighting alongside him. Uh, But you and I, we're all Peter. I mean, we have all had these moments where we say, wow, I did not know I was capable of that. Wow, I thought I was the kind of person who wouldn't say that, but I said it. I thought I wasn't the kind of person who would do that, but I did it. And that's what we see Peter going through here, thinking, I was the guy who said I was going to go to prison and to death, and I just completely crumpled. His whole view of himself just collapsed, and all he could do was weep. And I think we've all experienced this, and we like to kind of push this side of us aside, kind of pretend it doesn't exist, uh, because it's embarrassing and hard to admit that that's there. But maybe you've had this experience where your humanity is just exposed, and you are hit like a truck by it, and you are just brought to tears. It's all you can think to do. And so there's a word that we use in Christianity that I think is helpful, Uh, that feeling of of knowing there's this side of us, knowing there's this piece of us, this part of us, that is just... A failure <laughs> that just it does not do the right thing, and, it, and you know that side of you comes up um, often, and we like to pretend it's not there, um, and it's hard when we're faced with it, and it, a word that I like is broken, I think that's a helpful word here, because what do you do with something that's broken? If your iPhone breaks, what do you do with it? You got to get it fixed. It, it, it's currently not working for you. It's currently not something you can use. And I think that's what we've all felt in front of God before. We think about Jesus and how great he is and how perfect he is. And we think about us. We think, I'm not the kind of person that Jesus should spend time on. I'm not the kind of person who, I, I don't even want Jesus to look at me. All I can do is just is weep. And I think we all know that, that there's, there's something in us that needs fixing. There's something about us that is broken and we need someone to come in and and fix it. And it maybe what some of us are feeling as i as i'm talking like this uh, is you know why do christians talk like this so much? <laughs> like are, are christians are we supposed to be just so you know heavy hearted kind of downcast all the time? Maybe when you come to church you feel like you feel like you hear this kind of message of be better, you're a sinner you know, God's kind of mad at your sin and you feel like Christians maybe should just lighten up a little bit. And I, I totally get that if that's you and you've thought about that. I've thought about that at certain churches I've been at. Uh, I think it's helpful here to j- just be honest about where we're at as as people, that we're broken, that that we have shortcomings, that we fail, that we act in ways that we don't like, that we do things that we don't like that we're even capable of doing. I I think it's helpful for us to kind of go there because this is where we see more clearly a a really cool picture of Jesus. It's through this lens, it's through this understanding that we, we learn something about Jesus that I think is really great, that we would miss if we weren't honest about our brokenness, if we kind of weren't raw about our shortcomings. And so what we see about Jesus here is that, you know, this whole time, Jesus, is, it's not like when Peter went out and disowned him three times. It's not like Jesus said, oh, all right, I thought you were my guy, but I'm kind of rethinking that. You know, Peter, I, I, you you were kind of the plan, but I think i got to go a different direction. And it's not like when uh, Peter saw Jesus after he rose again, where Peter denied him back. It's not like he returned the favor. No, we, we see Jesus from the beginning. Before this is going to happen, Jesus says... Peter, I'm praying for you. And when you turn again, strengthen the brothers. He says, Hey, I still want to use you. I care about you. I love you. I'm in this with you. And so what we see is is Jesus is devoted to Peter. When Peter's kind of in and out and in and out and feeling like the best disciple, feeling like just the worst failure, Jesus is still steady. Jesus is still devoted to Peter. It's not like Jesus wavers when Peter wavers. Jesus is in with him the whole time. And this is what I think we learn from the story. We learn that Jesus stays devoted to the broken. Jesus stays devoted to the broken. Where we are up and down and in and out, Jesus is always there for us. Jesus is always committed to us. He always loves us. He always likes us. He doesn't second-guess us. It's not like his patience runs out. It's not like there's you know, a finite amount of his forgiveness that you're just going to run out of, that you need to be afraid, that is just going to run out on you. You can always know. Go to Jesus, and you can be forgiven. Go to Jesus, and he will be devoted to you. When you feel like you are just failing left and right, Jesus is devoted to you. When you realize you have not prayed or read your Bible since last Sunday, Jesus is devoted to you. When that sin struggle that just is always there and you can't get over, Jesus is devoted to you. Jesus is devoted to the broken. And Jesus, his ultimate devotion to you uh, led him to the cross. This is, this is where we, we see his devotion most clearly. Uh, because you and I, our brokenness, our shortcoming, our sin that we all know is there, we don't like to think about it, but we know is there. Uh, we have a God who, who couldn't just ignore that, and that's good for us. We don't want a God who would make light of that or, or not really worry about it. Heaven would not be a good place if we had a God who made light of that. And so we needed someone to save us. Our brokenness, it, it earned us the separation from God forever. We, just, we can't be in his presence. We can't have peace with him ever. But Jesus said, I want you to have peace with God. And so I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to take your place, and I'm going to die for you. And so that when we trust in Jesus, when we believe in him, we can have peace with God. We can be secure and tight with God. We can know things are good You know, when we accept him and believe in him, we don't need to beat ourselves up over sins that Jesus died for. We don't need to feel like this weight and kind of try and fix ourselves up. Jesus died to fix you. He died to restore that broken part of you. When we believe in Jesus, he stays devoted to us. He's in it with us. He's always there. It's that easy. It's that simple. It's that powerful. It's it's that good. Jesus stays devoted to us who were broken. Uh, and, you know, this is just where this great peace with God comes from. Uh, you know, when, when things are kind of up and down, and they're, they're always up and down for us, you can know Jesus is still with you. You know, Jesus wasn't the basketball coach who chose, like, the tall, athletic kids. Okay, I was cut from the freshman year basketball team, so this this works for me. You know, Jesus chose the kind of awkward, short kids to be on his team, and he wasn't surprised when they couldn't shoot free throws or pass or do anything. And so Jesus also isn't surprised when you can't shoot free throws. He's not like, oh, I didn't know that. No, it's, it's who he chose from the beginning. He saw the most broken part of you and said, yeah, I'm, I'm, going, I'm with you. I'm sticking with you. I'm devoted to you. And so when you, when you feel like you're failing, when you feel like things aren't going well, you can know Jesus is still with you. He's not going to second-guess you or turn on you. And so this is where this, this source of peace can come from. We say, okay, I know I'm up and down, but because of Jesus and what he did, I know he's always steady. I know I can be honest with him. I don't need to be guarded with him. I don't need to be protected and careful around him. I can totally be free to just kind of show him everything, and he will be there with me. Um, I think a big question that comes from this, and I'll close with this thought, a big question that, that comes from this, that if you're a Christian, you've undoubtedly had people ask you this, but I think it's helpful to come back to. Um, you know, if, if Jesus' forgiveness, it's endless and endless and endless, and it, we don't work for it at all, it's, just to, it's totally paid for by the cross, does this just mean I can sin and sin and sin and just keep living how I want to live, and it doesn't matter? Uh, so I want to I address that in two ways. Um, one thing, one way, I, I want to make sure I'm clear. I, I'm not saying that um, God isn't still a powerful, frightening God. You know, I'm not trying to trivialize your relationship with him. This is the God, when when people saw him in the Bible, they fell on their faces and just like wept and was like, don't look at me. Um, th- that is still our God. And the fact that he's, like, ferociously committed to you, uh, it, it's something to respect. It's, it's not something to take lightly. And so, yeah, Jesus, you can have peace with Jesus, but it doesn't mean he's kind of your boyfriend who's just going to tell you you're okay all the time. <laughs> you know, Jesus is going to push your buttons. He's going to get in your face a little bit. He's going to make you uncomfortable. Uh, I've been talking to my kids about baptism. We've got baptism coming up in middle school. It's a great time to get baptized. And some of my kids are like, this is weird. I don't want to. And I'm like, tough. It's a little weird. This is what Jesus wants for you. And just because you feel uncomfortable or a lack of peace about it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Uh, And so Jesus, he he still wants to push you and challenge you and stretch you and grow you. So when I say peace with God, I I still think Christianity can be hard and can be difficult, and and God is going to call you into greater things that are challenging. And that leads me to what I ultimately want to say about this, And my closing thought is that I just think gratitude is the best motivator. I just think gratitude is the best motivator. We're so used to working as a motivator. You know, I got to work up and people will recognize me and and that's what I'm working toward. Or we work for money or whatever we work for. Um, This is, you know, your reward was given on day one before you did anything for it. It's like, what, I get this? Yeah, you do. It's When you accept Jesus, you're in, you're good, you're covered. Um, And that, to me, is a powerful motivator for the Christian life. And this is what happened to Peter. Uh, When Jesus rose from the dead and Peter realized what happened, he realized, wow, Jesus saw me at my worst, he saw what I did, and he still wants to use me. Peter just went crazy. (laughs) I mean, he was preaching and he was leading people to Jesus. He was going everywhere and doing mission trips and all kinds of stuff. And I just think that gratitude is what ultimately propels us into the Christian life. And so I'm, I'm never going to soften this idea of, of God's grace, of his forgiveness. Uh, people say, well, this will make us soft or this will make us, you know, not want to work hard. I don't think it does. I think when we, we really understand, wow, gee, I'm broken. I don't deserve forgiveness. It's been given to me. I think that is a motivator to live the Christian life. And that is what is exciting about the Christian life. As if um, the Christian life was just a list of things to kind of do, if it, if it was more works-based, we'd have to be given kind of boring rules that were very attainable, that we could actually check off on our own power. But that's not what Jesus invites us into. Jesus says, yeah, I want you to preach the gospel to the whole world. I want you to care for the poor. I want you to love your enemies, count others more significant than yourself. Huge things. And, and you might be thinking, oh, that's, that's not something I can just check off. This is a big life thing that Jesus is bringing me into. And when we have peace with God, when we know us and God are solid, we can turn our eyes to the broken world around us, and we can devote ourselves to it. And this is what's so great. And this is why I think peace with God is so key. And I'm never going to soften talking about Jesus' forgiveness. When you you know you and God are solid, you you can be free to go out. And you don't have to fear failing. You don't have to fear, like, oh, God's going to be upset at me if I mess up. No, just go. Just go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Go enjoy life with God. Reach people. You know, care for people. Love people. That's what Jesus is calling us into. And so he gives us crazy hard things to do because it's not about us doing them that keeps us and God solid. That's not what it's about. So, Jesus stays devoted to the broken. I think this is a source of peace, and I think this is something we just need to remind ourselves of. And so I, I encourage you to think about that. And as you think about that, um, and you think about the ways you rationalize, or you, you know, you beat yourself up for sins that Jesus forgave, Just know you can be solid, and think about what that solidness, that security in Christ is pushing you into. What is God calling you into that's greater, that maybe your lack of peace with God is keeping you from? So let me pray for us.